Welcome to Tab Storytellers. I'm Abby Patobay. Tab is a art education, pedagogy, methodology, uh, kind of all sorts of things wrapped into one. It is about student as the artist, the classroom as a studio, and exploring what do artists do. And I'm here with my co-host. Hi, everybody. It's Jen Ferrari. Thank you so much for joining us for Tab Storytellers. This podcast was established to promote dialogue among art teachers who seek best practices in contemporary art education and to advocate for tab pedagogy and practice. This podcast, which we lovingly refer to as a tabcast, is published once a month and is a place to share our tab stories with one another. These stories can come from tab educators, administrators, community members, researchers, and many, many more sources. From how we found tab to implementation in the classroom, to advocacy for your program, to dispelling myths about tab practice, we cover it all. Uh, for more information, you can navigate after this tabcast to teachingforartisticbehavior.org. There you'll find information, inspiration, and incredibly helpful items such as teacher-created resources and access to an online community of tab educators called Mighty Networks. All right, so Abby, would you like to introduce our guest today? Yes, I have the pleasure of introducing Mario Rossero, who is the executive director of NAEA. Um, we go back in other roles um, as I'm on the board of NAEA, full disclosure for people who are um, listening, but also we are super excited to have Mario here and I will um, let him tell us about his role at NAEA. Welcome, Mario. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Jen. Good to, good to talk to you both. I'm glad to be here. Um, as, you, as you said, I get to be the uh, executive director of NAEA, which is a great privilege and honor to support and work with art educators all over the country and beyond. Um, and, you know, a lot of my role is, is listening, right? It's listening to members, listening to the board, listening to the field, and then working with staff and board to prioritize uh, the things that we need to do to best serve our art educators and our art learners these days. Um, and as you might imagine right now, that is a long list. Um, you know, we, we are experiencing probably more, more change in a short period of time than we ever have before. So anyways, I'm really glad to be part of this conversation because I think th this is, TAB is sort of one of, one of the tools in our toolbox that uh, I think can really help uh, move the practice forward. So glad to be here. Glad to have you. Um, so we usually start with our TAB story. And so that kind of covers like, what do you know about TAB or um, if you've, because you have been an art educator in the field, um, if that if was your practice kind of thing or where you're at now with it. Yep. So I, I've been thinking about this question for the last few days. Um, you know, the first 10 years of my career, I was in the classroom as an elementary and middle school art teacher, both in right outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and in Chicago, Illinois. And, um, you know, but that was the sort of mid to late 90s and the er the early aughts, right? Um, and so TAB wasn't something that I knew about, but as I was doing my research and what I know about it from members and just from the field and the work, I was trying to align it with my teacher practice to see like how close I might've been and, and what it would have done for me to have this networker community. And so I know that this isn't, um, exactly tab practice, but I thought this was a, the closest that I could think of as an example, which you might enjoy and appreciate. Um, the elementary school that I taught in for a long time, the oldest grade at the elementary was fourth, and they really wanted like a sort of like a signature project every year that, that fourth graders could work on annually. 
and we needed to work on our 3D construction and we needed to work on our art history and I'm a big collaborator. And so, um, and they also wanted to per have a performance of some sort. Um, so, you know, like matching the standards with the student interest and needs and the tools available, it turned into a puppet music video project where the students would work in teams to identify a work of art that resonated with them that had characters of some sort in it, didn't have to be humans, could be animals or anything. Um, and they would sort of create the backdrop, but they would pull the characters out and make them into three-dimensional puppets that they would then um, choose music selections that they had a good rationale for why that music, so, you know, one time they did a, a Mona Lisa, but there were like four Mona Lisas, but they picked a Mary J. Blige song and they had a really great reason for that, which we all loved. And then we would film these music videos. Anyways, the 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 closest to tab I could think of from that experience was that uh, I taught everyone how to sew. We taught everyone how to construct with, um, uh, uh, oh, it wasn't Mod Podge or paper mache, it was plaster craft. So they were really top heavy puppets. Um, we taught them how to, you know, we, we learned about painting the backdrops and projecting their images. We, you know, worked on rehearsals and choreography and on videography. So everyone like learned how to do all the things, but then they worked in groups or stations and they rotated around the room and they all had their sort of different goals to achieve. So I know it's not quite there, but as I think about my practice and at that time, I wasn't really surrounded by a peer group. And I hadn't really been introduced to NAEA yet. So I, I just, as I thought about that, I was like, oh, I could only imagine what I, how I would have designed that learning experience with even sort of more student agent. There was a good amount of student agency there. Uh, and there was a lot of individual outputs, outcomes. Yeah. But I, if, you know, I feel like if I had understood TAB a little bit more, I can only imagine what my students would have come up with. So... Well, and it's not something that you probably would have had access to at that point. It really became yeah. more national stage in the early aughts. And so exactly. while yeah. it has a deep history, it was fairly local to Massachusetts, uh, New England area. And you were out in Chicago, right? But that this story was Pittsburgh, but still, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think I mind admitting this, but it's like, I think we might have had email when I was teaching. I mean, we had email when I was teaching, but like <laughs> the degree to which people actually used it or even used the internet that much for searching, you know, is like early days. So, you know, I think our networks are so much stronger to find those resources nowadays. Mm -hmm. Nothing like dating yeah. yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> imagine. Um, so, how did you end up in? this field and I guess by this field like both art education but then um really you've moved beyond the classroom and so do you want to talk to us about your transition into art education and then out of the classroom and into administrations sure um you know I was definitely that kid that you know like found like the arts were the thing that spoke to me right like I just from day one just immediately resonated um, I, you know, I always made things, I always drew, um, I was, I'm, I always have a sketchbook. So, you know, as early as I can remember, I was making things like someone yesterday asked me if I had, if my parents, they know my parents like 
we lived way out in the country, so they refused to drive me anywhere. They would take my sister to softball practice, but I somehow was not allotted that good fortune. And they said, if your parents would have driven you to sports, would you have participated? And I was like, no. But if they had driven me to art <laughs> camp or art class, I would have been thrilled. I could only imagine. So anyways, you know, it was the thing that spoke to me. So as I pursued my studies and looked at college, I was really focused on, I wanted to become an illustrator is really the thing that I wanted to do. So I took all these arts classes as my major, but I had an education minor because that was sort of, it wasn't, my parents weren't like forcefully pushing education, but they were really good at being practical and said, hey, this might be a good pairing. And, you know, honestly, I didn't know to my senior year in the spring when I was student teaching that I loved to teach. Like when I got into the classroom, I was like, oh, I feel like I hit the lottery because I love art and I love teaching and I get to do both every day. Right. And that was pretty, mm -hmm. I mean, like it was, I, I felt really lucky that I could live both of my passions. Um, and then, you know. I got to work at the Andy Warhol Museum, and I think there's definitely a, a museum approach in some of my work, and and definitely that idea of like multiples and reproducing images, and and the artist's hand or the studio hand, like all those things, I think really played into my work. But I, um, uh, this will probably not be surprising, but you know, as an art teacher in a art room in the basement. Uh, you know, of an elementary school and, you know, one of maybe a dozen art teachers in different buildings across the district. I felt pretty isolated in terms of colleagues that understood my craft and what I was doing with kids. And, um, and honestly, many of my colleagues, although I love them dearly, like I was doing things that had a lot of student agency and student voice, and that wasn't quite understood at that time or as, as, found often in classrooms. So anyways, I was like bumping my head against the ceiling of the school structure because I was like, I was the art teacher that was showing some leadership, right? So we, we a lot of us feel that, right? And there wasn't anyone to recognize that or any pathway or outlet for me to take to even mm -hmm. practice those leadership skills. Uh, and folks that have heard me speak have probably heard the story before, but it and I, I swear I'm not making this up. It was literally my first NAEA convention in New York City where I where my one colleague, Alice, who was so awesome and introduced me to NAEA, we were presenting a project. And at the end of our session, I met my grad school because there were two ladies in the back of the audience from Bank Street School and and Alice was talking to one and I was talking to the other and she starts kind of interviewing me about my goals and I, she's like, Oh, oh, you're interested in grad school. Okay, well, what are your interests? And I, you know, I talked about some of my work and she goes, oh, and asked me some more questions and then reaches into her bag and pulls out a flyer for this uh, supervision and administration in the visual arts uh, master's mm -hmm. program that was Bank Street, which is a school of education and Parsons School of Design. So you spent half your week in sort of educational leadership and theory classes organizational development and then the other half in the studio and you could do it in the summer so you could teach all year and then go live in New York for the summer is the best thing that ever happened to me but it it was the thing that sort of activated my leadership stuff and my sort of administration I know administration doesn't sound like the 
you know, most sought after, you know, funnest term, but I love, I love working with others. Uh, you know, I've got that sort of collaborative spirit. And so when I went back to the classroom in Pittsburgh at the end of that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm ready for something bigger, a bigger challenge. And so, um, and, and don't you love um, the naivete of youth? I, I was like, I have a friend from grad school in Chicago. I'm going to drive to Chicago. I'm going to get a job in Chicago and, you know, in a classroom. And I'm going to work my way up through the system until I'm leading the arts for the whole school system. But at the time I was, you know, my only experience was elementary and middle school art teacher, which is awesome. But so I um, drove to Chicago. I went to a big job fair with 600 schools in two different big convention center rooms. I think we all know McCormick Place in Chicago, right? And I interviewed on the spot. I found a great school. And um, sorry if I'm taking, I hope I'm not taking too long, but you know, it's you like, take, no, this you is want the journey. Yes. It's this is the journey. Um, when I was at my school, Harold Washington Elementary in the south side of Chicago, that principal, uh, uh, Dr. Lewis, had a love for the art. So she had all these sort of like community, almost like outsider art installation pieces in the school, including uh, Mayor Washington's Cadillac uh, in an alcove by the stairs with this like glitter paint on the walls and like all these portraits around. It was like really a fascinating place, but they had never had uh, a trained art educator. And they had lots of great community-based artists, which were wonderful, just a, you know, a little bit of a different knowledge base. And so when I came yeah. in, the kids were like, what? Mr. Rosero, there are things, there are like elements to the arts. There are, there are like names for processes. And <laughs> they just loved, you know, it was like all those like elements and principles and all the, you know, the, the all the language, they were just like, this is cool. They're, Art has things to it, and we can put those things together in different ways and have different outcomes. Um, it was amazing. I had 800 kids. I had taught pre-K to eighth grades. I had 10 grade levels. I knew every kid's name, and I ran all the assemblies because I was the only one that knew every kid's name in the entire building. Um, which, <laughs> now, which now I say, I, right, we laugh, but like now I say is like one of the art teacher's superpowers. Mm, like, do I know every kid, but I probably yep. know across time and age, and I might know whole families. And yeah. isn't that amazing as a strength? Like who else had, like I talked to my sister who's been a, she's an AP now, but she has been a middle school teacher for most of her life. And she was like, oh, you student taught for all grades and you also taught everybody. Huh, <laughs> you know, she was just like, it like finally sunk in. There was like the the audience that we serve is is pretty massive and and pretty spectacular. Mm -hmm. um, anyways, uh, speed this up a little bit. But um, I love being in that classroom in Chicago. But I um, I guess I know like I always say to folks like you got to know if you're a risk taker or not and how much of a risk taker. And so I really I, I feel fortunate. I trust myself to land on my feet. Thank you, mom and dad, for that. Um, but I'll take risks. So like taking that risk to drive to Chicago. Um, and after that first year, somebody from central office showed up in my classroom and was telling me that my school was, was part of a program of, um, 
neighborhood elementary schools that had an arts focus and focused on arts integration and that I was the lead arts teacher and that da 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 and I thought and I really I said to her I was like excuse me I don't mean to be rude but what are you talking about I'm the <laughs> only art teacher here I teach everybody if if I was one of these teachers and we were one of these schools I would be the one to know I think you need my help <laughs> and she she wasn't you know thankfully she wasn't taken aback she just said oh well well, tell me, like, what would you do? And I shared some of what I had just learned from grad school. And uh, that summer, she got a federal grant and asked me to interview and hired me and brought me to central office. So that was my transition moment. So I have a, you know, like, yeah. I think the role of mentors is so essential. And they're hard to find some, like, I mean, usually you're not looking and then find one, they usually kind of happen upon you. And do you say yes or no to that opportunity? But Carol Ann mentored me in the central office and I didn't know how to use an Excel spreadsheet or I didn't believe in using my calendar attached to my email. I, you know, it's like whatever you want to name. I didn't understand any of those like sort of office functions and operations, but I knew teachers and schools. So mm. I went to, my job was to drive to those, there were 60 schools and arts focus that I drove to every day. And I just listened and met with teachers and principals. And so, and then we did a, we did um, like 40 hours of arts uh, leadership and arts integration training with those teachers across every mm -hmm. art. Uh, and we did that for, I don't know, we got two grant cycles. I think we did it for at least six years. Um, and it was, it's the single most effective, like, uh, transformative action for the arts that I've ever seen is investing in art teacher leadership is the thing that I've, that's the thing that I've seen firsthand without fail make a difference. Because suddenly those teachers were part of the school improvement planning team, part of the leadership team. They were bringing colleagues together for professional development. They had all, you know, they had the network of community arts partners. They had community spaces. They had, you know, it was like all, this whole universe was opened up. And then, um, you know, I, I was probably in Chicago public schools for 12, I think 12 years. And I just kind of worked my way up through the system. So I, I oversaw magnet schools and programs. I um, eventually be, did become the director of arts, which was really exciting for, you know, <laughs> half a million kids and 600 schools. But um, it was those teacher, those art teacher leaders years later when I moved into that role that, you know, I probably had, uh, I had over a thousand arts teachers across art forms and we'd do these big professional developments. And when those teacher leaders were in the room, they would turn the tide of any conversation because they had learned the skills of, oh, well, let's focus on what's important. Let's put aside differences and focus on the common goal. Let's elevate student learning. Let's focus on um, access for everybody and not these little fiefdoms of, you know, mm. uh, sort of like interpersonal battles that unfortunately come up in education. Um, and so I was lucky in, in, in that, that sort of last role in Chicago, well, one of the last roles in Chicago, I got to work at a citywide scale and we created a, um, uh, and be also because I had every job in the system and learned from the ground. I mean, like I did all the grunt work. I knew how all the systems worked. 
And at the time, um, Rahm Emanuel had just come into office as mayor and called for a series of plans, including a cultural plan. And my colleagues at the city called or were hosting these listening sessions around what's important for arts and culture. And citizens on their own were saying, we're, the arts and schools is our biggest number one priority. So Michelle said, come on, Mario, let's do this together. And then it was, we were on a path to create a strategic plan for the arts. And guess, you know, guess what the important things were? Equity and access for all students. Minutes and time, instruction time during the day, consistently, week to week, month to month, across years. Um, you know, sequential growth from year to year. Um, resources. How about staffing in order to reach everyone? Um, looking at graduation requirements and other requirements, looking at budgets. And so we created this pretty massive plan that the board approved that really instead of like accepting age old dilemmas in the arts, like mm -hmm. my schedule stinks, I don't have a sink, I'm traveling to three schools, I'm not evaluated appropriately. We just, we wrote a plan and part of the plan was to address all those things. And then my team helped work with teachers to make the tools to address all those. And we, we put the arts on the uh, public facing scorecards for schools. So the arts had accountability and we had a common set of measures and we made the arts teacher critical to capturing those, those data points. And instead of, you know, it wasn't about like schools getting in trouble for not having the arts, but it was public accountability to say, hey, Abby's made this great investment. So has Jen, their schools are in completely different neighborhoods, but we've done this gap analysis and we found out that they're weak in dance or they're not serving their middle school students enough. We have now aligned all the partners and funders to create opportunities to help you address your gap. So we can bring up the whole ecosystem can grow simultaneously. Anyways, that was probably the most fun honest I've ever had because we just, I mean, we were sort of, um, I don't, cowboy doesn't sound like the right word. I, I don't know, not renegade, <laughs> not cowboys, but we were like some, you know, like, we just sort of, and we didn't bulldoze, but we just were like, I had a, um, my supervisor at the time said, Mario, you've got the support of the board president, the mayor and the mayor's office and, and the teacher's union. Run as fast as you can to the finish line and keep going and don't stop until <laughs> someone forces you. So we just made everything happen as fast as possible. Um, wow. and we're able to serve that many more kids. Oh That's also, wow. Did I not take a pause through that whole thing? <laughs> no. Well, no, I I am so glad that you shared all of that um, with us because I, I was making notes frantically. Abby, I know I am the note taker. Yeah. Abby is not, and that's okay. We, bo we both have our strengths. But I was like frantically writing down notes and I wrote down a couple of things that I got from listening to you. Yeah. I heard a lot about teacher leadership and yeah. teachers taking leadership roles. I heard a lot about listening to people, um, you know, your colleagues, your community, your administration. I heard about being an active advocate um, in your position. And I also heard about accountability. Those are some things that I pulled out of um, what you were sharing is things that I, for myself, moving forward are going to keep in mind as well, because if it sounds like they worked really well in your situation on a huge scale. 
So I think for us, you know, even like in my district, it's very small, but keeping those things in mind, we can affect change also. So thank you for sharing all of that. I feel like you got my book. Those are like the first chapters of my book. Ready to go. <laughs> thank you for that. But you know, it's like, I say that like, like I understand that not everyone wants to or likes to work at a massive scale. I just happen, like my heart and brain love that. Like I will only will want bigger audiences to work with because I find it endlessly fascinating and fun. That's not everyone's cup of tea, but you know, translating that down to like, what are the local actions I can take, right? Because I learned to do those things at the classroom scale, right? right. Or my mm -hmm. school building scale. And then a district, you know, it's like, I was really lucky to like stair step it. So then, mm -hmm. you know, after Chicago, I was like, okay, I know how to work in the lar third largest city school system in the country. I guess I'm gonna have to do some national work. <laughs> Where yes. do you do that? I and, love that. Uh, I mean, literally, I did like, I did like, I, I always say to folks, if you're like a little itchy for a change, just take people to coffee, like just invite them to coffee and talk, you know, people that have connections, talk to them. And everyone sort of like, they're like, yeah, yeah, national, but it was like, where do you go? And um, I was just about to email a friend at the Kennedy Center when I, when another friend emailed me a job posting for the Kennedy Center for the, um, it was the um, senior vice president of education for their portfolio. And I thought, well, I am not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna ignore the universe that's sending me this message at this, this unique moment. And um, moving to DC and working in that role was fascinating coming in at the tail end of the Obama administration, right before the Trump administration. And just seeing like, I mean, as political as Chicago is, and, and I get like, maybe back in the day, you know, folks might be able to say that our work isn't political, but you know, now to me, it just, from my personal perspective, it's hard, it's hard to imagine that anything is not. You know, every decision yeah. you make for or against or together, it has some kind of implication, right? And mm -hmm. sort of, I think DC sort of taught me a little bit more about how the inner workings of government work, the importance of relationships. Um, and also like Kennedy Center is like a, a name brand sort of institution and, and how folks perceive and receive and respect those institutions. Um, yeah. And one that's both a, presidential memorial and a brick and mortar performance space and has a big education portfolio. It was like a really interesting like uh, confluence of identities. And then we also opened up a new um, addition of these new buildings as part of the Kennedy Center. So it was really interesting to, um, like I, I'm very hands-on, very people focused, which you can probably tell, but I'm, I was so used to people in person and then uh, like in my immediate like geographic vicinity and then the people in person were always getting on a plane to travel, which is interesting to think mm -hmm. about um, as I joined NAEA and we immediately hit the pandemic, it was, a, it was that virtual engagement and what a, it was an interesting exercise for my brain to think about, oh, well, I know how to do national when I'm traveling to meet partners in person Oh, thrilled to, you know, open those new buildings at the Kennedy Center, 
join NAEA, which I, you know, I had such fond memories of as a young, as a young teacher, it was so critical and pivotal for me. And then joining with all these hopes and aspirations for things to mm -hmm. accomplish, which we still did, but to immediately have the pandemic shut things down and change, sort of rewrite the script. Um, I'll tell you what, I was never so thankful for my time in Chicago public schools in crisis management because I learned a lot, you know, I learned a lot from that. Um, and um, yeah, it was sort of like the, those things you named, Jen, right? was like they had, they had to, those lessons had to um, adapt a little bit yeah. for virtual engagement. Because um, it's like, how do you help folks but you know, continue to believe in something greater, continue to believe in community when things are all at a distance through through a technological means, right? Yeah. Um, and we really worked, I worked with the board really hard to like personalize the association, like more letters to, you know, more, like more letters of support, more town halls, more listening sessions, more like those kind of engagements, because it's like, let's create some space where we can remember that, like, oh, I am, I'm here with others who are, maybe we don't walk in the same shoes, but similar path. So now this kind of leads us to one of the other questions that was on our, our list. So these connections that we can form with other people in the field that you're kind of talking about the listening and the, the chatting with people. How can teachers who um, maybe they're not as familiar with NAEA or how to reach out or how to connect, yeah. how could they connect in general? And then also, what is it that like is there for TAB teachers? Like if they do connect, what 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 is there for them? Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I, you hit on something that I struggle with, and I think it's sort of a healthy struggle, which is how do you reach the teacher that just doesn't know about like how do you reach someone who's like maybe not connected or not surrounded by other arts teachers right and it could be other you know you can find community across content like let's you know I don't want to further the siloed nature of education but it's like you know I know like the librarians at my middle school were the favorite my favorite people to have lunch with every day and we knew everything that was going on in the world because I sat with the librarians anyways um I think um if there's any teacher listening who's kind of in that situation, I mean, I would love for people to join NAEA because I think you get a great community and like a, a whole series of supports you might not even imagine. But I think beyond that, the most important thing is like, I remember what it's like. I love the joy of closing my art room door, right? And making art with kids and sort of like, you know, you're sort of like, um, uh, um, it's like the 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 multiverse, right? It's like I'm closing a door and opening one to another world or universe, and that is the joy of my art room. Yeah. I also recognize that that doesn't always benefit me or our field to further isolate ourselves. So whether you're closing that door for joy or to avoid something else, try opening it up and, and stepping out and connecting with, you know, it's like connect with those other teachers. Cause there's, I think it's such a hard profession. You got to have colleagues that support you. So I'd say that's like number one. And then I think second, it's just sort of like, um, I don't always know. I don't, I'm not sure if folks understand that 
um, if you're if you're working to sort of strengthen your case for the value of the arts or the value of your role as an art specialist in a school or a community, that uh, being part of a professional association provides you uh, leadership opportunities, recognition opportunities, student opportunities, things that sort of like translate back to local street cred that your parents, your principal, your superintendent might care about, which can increase the value proposition for the arts in your your local vicinity, if that makes sense, right? It's like, oh yeah, that, that sort of recognition and those opportunities really make a difference. Um, and, and people can value sort of that outside seal of approval in a way that they may not do it if it's just hyper-local. Um, but for your question about for tab teachers, I think, um, what I one of the things I discovered about NAE that I didn't know as much coming in is our interest groups, for example. So 23 interest groups, they are member generated interest that sort of like meet a certain threshold and they develop into these like they're all part of NAE, but they're kind of like these like little mini internal organizations. And look, I love you, I love everybody, but I really love that group because we started talking at the first virtual convention and realized that they we just hadn't you know the the organization hadn't been really hosting regular conversations with them throughout the years uh, mm -hmm. on an ongoing basis so we started doing these quarterly talks and all of a sudden it's like we're a big family and community and they share strategies and ideas and i feel like um similarly tab is a group of art educators that's within our larger universe that find that connection among each other right um mm -hmm. share and I, and I understand that there's um, a fair amount of structure and classroom design that's involved for TAB. And I think that having a support network for that must be really uh, vital. Um, and I bet if, if I was struggling with some classroom management things, I would definitely want to be able to call Abby or call Jen or call someone and say, all right, I'm not sure how to set this up in my classroom while I'm managing this. Help me understand how I can create some some maybe intrinsic motivators to the setup of stations or art labs or you know whatever the language might be um, to really get students focused in that way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for um, that, the response. So do you see connections between TAB and the work that, that you're doing at NAEA or connections that could be developed? Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about this and, um, you know, the board and I, a lot of our work is around um, so, sort of creating pathways for, pathways and opportunities for everybody. One of those audiences is young people. And so how do you design systems that uplift student voice and agency, right? So I, mm -hmm. the way that I understand TAB and think about it is that I'm provide I'm I'm sort of providing a sense of tools and materials and how things are are utilized and used in some context so that they can explore and create um not completely on their own, but they can explore their own pathway, right? And and lean lean on their own ideas and agency to accomplish art making. Um yeah. and that's something that we're really working on. Um so like when we um 
created our last strategic plan. Um, I really fought to have student voice on the steering committee. So we had some honor society students um, that were part of that. Uh, in fact, Namisa is one of them. She still, she texts me, this is like, what, three and a half years later, she still texts me because she's an, she's pursuing engineering, but she loves the arts. So she's always like, Mr. Mario, how do I keep the arts alive in my engineering life? And then she submitted an artwork to a, um, an engineering art competition. And we were, I was like giving her some advice on it, but you know, it's like, uh, how do we embed those young people uh, in our work and and listen to their voice and direction? And I feel like TAB is especially good at that. So it seems to me that at minimum, there's some overlap there. Mm. Um, and definitely a space that NAEA is working on. Um, because, you know, it's not, it's not the, it's not the art class that I went to as a kid, right? Like, it's like, what, what kids need nowadays is not necessarily, I mean, I love I love my uh, my art teacher. I loved I could draw a hand or a bottle like nobody's business. <laughs> a hand, a bottle and a chair, man. I could do that in my sleep. But it's like, I don't think I understood, understood all the ways I could explore uh, materials and ideas. Um, and boy, if we're not in a world where kids need all the tools they have to understand the world themselves, express you know, what's going on inside, maybe, you know, get that external and have some conversations about it. I think TAB really helps with all those pieces. So, you know, it's interesting that you kind of um, talked about this a little bit because I am also an elementary teacher. I used to teach high school, but now I'm an elementary teacher and I have 600 kids and those yep. 600 kids of all of them, there's going to be maybe a handful that actually go off into becoming like what the world sees as a, a professional artist, yeah. right? And all the rest of the 595 other kids are going to go off into other career paths. So I try to think of what I do in supporting all of those kids in creative ways, because a lot of the skills that they gain, and we had a conversation, um, the, the last episode that we had was with Lois Hetland and Ellen Winner and about the studio thinking framework. Um, but a lot of those skills and those things that we're in, imparting to them are what can carry over into other parts of their life afterwards, you know, and how you were talking about that student with engineering. There's so much that translates from what we do into a field like that. Um, and it's just those interdisciplinary connections, I think, that a lot of people don't think about. Um, but they are so very important to consider. And I think that that's one thing that TAB does really well is it thinks about that along with the student-centered, go, they go together. So when you put the student at the center of the learning, you're really focusing on like their emergent interest and their like authentic interest so that you're supporting them as they move through education. So that was just something that I kind of thought about while you were sharing that, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I think that like one of the things that um, it, it, as part of somebody who was involved in the process of um, the choice-based interest group becoming a choice-based interest group, um, I was in the room for the two years that it took to make that happen. Um, it, one of the benefits of that being a thing, and I think for all the interest groups, one of the really amazing things is that NAEA kind of saves space in the, um, the programming of the conferences 
the conventions um, to make specific um, groups be able to be tracked. And so for people who are interested in tab or more broadly choice, um, because there's some, there's some distinctions there between the two. Um, if you come to an NAEA convention, you can search the choice-based interest group and come up mm -hmm. with the workshops that have been already tagged that way. So yeah. for people who are interested in learning more or interested in building community or interested in finding your people, and maybe maybe tab people aren't your people, there are some other interest groups um, that are also really amazing. Actually, all of them are really amazing. Um, and Abby's a member people. of all of them too. I am a member <laughs> of all of them. Yeah, right. um, I, I, my favorite one's the retired group because it gives me hope. Um, but <laughs> there, uh, you can find, different workshops but also when you go to present you can um choose if you're if you're like oh yeah no my my idea really is choice-based or really directly related to tab you can submit your proposal underneath that strand and so then mm -hmm. the people who are reviewing it are people who are familiar with that um interest group and so those are some interesting ways that kind of behind the scenes ways that you can both find your groups but also contribute back to interest groups that you're interested in related to and so I think that's something that's really beautiful about the way NAEA creates those spaces for um, people to have interests within the broader field of art education as a whole. Mm. Yep yeah, and Abby I appreciate you saying that because it makes me think you know if someone's not finding their space or group that you know, interest groups or convention are a great space and, and way to maybe even pilot or find out if there's, there is a new group that needs to coalesce together so that you do have that space. Because um, they're, they're kind of like um, affinity and identity spaces in some ways. They're more about the, you know, professional content and, and passions and connections. Uh, but I think that they um, are definitely a space that, you know, is created for that. Uh, there's something that you said, Jen, that made me think um, uh, to the student piece. One of the reasons I love our National Art Honor Societies is that those are about the arts in service to the community is really how I think about them. Yeah. And it's also about like student leadership and student governance. So it, those I always think about those spaces like there might be, who knows, the percentage might be more kids that are passionate about the arts and want to pursue it, then that's not. But my gut says there's probably more students in there that will likely not pursue a creative career, but will take those learnings far beyond that experience. That I think yeah. it's just like, that's always, that's, that group is such a great opportunity for kids to play around in because you get to not just, you know, be immersed in an arts experience, but you might be, you know, creating a public mural for a community based on the things that they care about is a, yeah. is a meaningful experience that sort of tra transcends some things that you might think or understand about the arts and really connect you to, to an idea, to a problem, to an issue, to people, so. I, so when I was a high school teacher, I was actually a co-sponsor of a National Art Honor Society chapter um, in Northbridge, Massachusetts. And I loved the time that we had together. And one of my favorite things, aside from the students becoming the leaders and deciding what projects they wanted to do and leading all of the work was the community aspect of it, like getting out into the public, making connections with other organizations, um, because it showed the kids that you can bring the things in the classroom out into the world. Like that was one of my favorite parts of it was connecting with 
outside the classroom. So a plug for uh, National Art Honor Society, if you have been thinking about starting a chapter, it's so totally worth it. Um, or even the National uh, Junior Arts Honor Society um, for I think it's middle school. Um, yep. I mean, I, yeah. again, if, if I would have had that at my school, I would have made my dad and he'd be so grumpy, pick me up late after school after that session ended. He'd be the last one to pick me up like he always was. But I would have been like, Dad, Mom and Dad, I'm signing up. I'm going to be in an art honor society. It's my passion. These are my people. I will stay in front of the school until 8 p.m. If it, if it takes that long for the Jeep to get up that hill, I, that, that would have been my jam for sure. But, but I digress. Um, <laughs> Do you think that there is anything else that is relevant or that you think that tab educators um, might want to know or need to know that you'd be able to share or provide? Yeah, well, um, there's one thing that just from this conversation that makes me think could be really helpful for folks um, is I think it's so important to sort of na name our work. Like the language we use for our work is so important. And I if it's something that I might automatically understand, right? I might take for granted that others don't understand it. And perhaps instead of being, I understand that can be frustrating, but perhaps instead of being frustrated, we use it as a moment to um, welcome folks, invite folks in and teach them the language of what, you know, what is TAB? What does it do? How does it benefit students? why might I choose that approach versus a different approach? Um, so I'm just thinking like, through this conversation, how might a teacher, an art teacher, um, describe their leadership within a building, which is probably known under the service, but, uh, or under the surface, but not named, right? So it's like the power of naming, right? So I think naming our approaches, naming our tools and processes, naming the impacts and outcomes of our work, especially as arts educators, is one of the most vital things that we can do today. Um, because how else are we going to sort of educate, inform, and uplift the profession even further through what are really hard times right now? Um, because when I talk to um, our members and our teachers across the country, I'm so glad I still hear the passion in people's voices, which is really pretty amazing because I think, you know, we're like one of the toughest groups of survivors, right? Um, and, and we have like a real stick to itness, you know, to our to our sort of community. Um, but I know that people are feeling a little more worn. And um, I just encourage folks to, you know, like let's name let's name the the real superpowers that we have, name the the positive impacts we have, and if everyone does that, I think it starts to change change the narrative around um, what the arts do in schools. Um, I know there there are pockets of great appreciation and pockets that are more like arts deserts uh, and a little everything in between. But um, what I don't hear as much is a common conversation about the value impact and like working to teach our colleagues and peers and folks around us in the education community what it is that we're doing. Um, so sorry, that's my, that's my plug, but I think that it's, it's just really vital. Um, I talked to enough folks that 
feel a little misunderstood. And I think we actually have the power to like change that narrative. I think that being an advocate for yourself and your program um, is one of the most important things an art educator can do, regardless of what that program looks like or what pedagogy you follow, having that ability to uh, explain what happens to your classroom, because we have become masters at taking like professional developments that are not built for us and translating them into our practice. And we translate almost everything that happens in the school into our classrooms. And so how do we translate that back out for other educators? Because um, there's the assumption that every educator does that naturally, but really that is not the case for a lot of other fields in education. Um, I one of my friends has been uh, at some like project-based learning professional developments and uh, is like, this is what we do every day. Don't you guys do all of this every day? And they're like, no, how do you do this? What? And so these regular gen ed teachers are really struggling with concepts that come naturally in the art education room um, because they haven't needed to have to translate those kinds of things back out into their own practices before. And so I think that that leadership part of being able to take what we do naturally and help other educators do that in their spaces um, becomes a big leadership piece and can be really impactful to the whole school because we are, we are educating all of the kids. Like these, you know, and it's not just we're educating them in art, we're educating them as whole children and whole humans that are going to be parts of our society sooner than later. 100%. It makes me think, you know, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, boy, when I was a teacher, I, I did, I, I was a doer, I did it. The things we're talking about, I would have just, I, I'd, I'd do them in my classroom and I'd do them really well. Did I have the ability or understanding of how to communicate that to my administration with my language? I don't know. Like I'll admit that I learned that over time and through my administrator leadership roles, because I had to talk to a lot of principals about it. Um, I learned that. So I just acknowledge that when we say this or when I say it, I know it's not easy and it may not come naturally and automatically, but practice, you know? Mm you literally have nothing you have nothing to, it's not there's I don't think there's a way to backstep right it's only going to move you forward so I just wanted to admit that I don't know that I would have been great at articulating it but boy I could I could plan a student art event and installation and transform something and bring in the community but if I had to tell someone that I was doing that I don't think I even would have thought of it I just could make it happen and I think you know it's like having both skill sets is really valuable right now. The ability to do and to name and, and share that. And I think if that's something that you with, um, I, we talked a lot about with NAEA because, I mean, you're here, Mario, and that's like literally your jam. But what makes NAEA, like the structure of NAEA is built on state associations. And so if you are struggling as an educator who's um, having problems communicating what's happening in your classroom, or maybe not problems, just you're not as being as effective as you want to be. Your state has an association with people who understand your state politics and your state dynamics and what's happening at your state level. And the leaders in your state associations have tools for you and they're very accessible. Um, they might not seem accessible, but I promise you that they really are and they are responsive to what your needs will be. And so if you you don't have to wait until NAEA and show up at a national convention, or if you can't, don't have the means to go to a national thing, but your, your professional development 
We'll pay for you to go to a state or regional thing. Connect with the, the other educators in your state associations um, or in a neighboring association if you're really having a hard time connecting or if you're on a border of a state to closer to another state. Um, but the, the leaders in um, state associations have the tools and the skills to be able to also support you in creating language that is helpful and meaningful to your program. Um, as specifically for TAB folks, again, as a reminder, Mighty Networks um, is one of those places where you can reach out because there's a lot of TAB teachers who have already had this conversation or built this language. Um, and so there's some definitely ways to, to reach out. I know even Davis Publications with School Arts has had a lot of um, choice and tab-based articles lately. Jen, you were featured in one of those articles recently, and I know they're coming out with another edition um, next year. And so those are some things, ways to connect. All the people who are writing those articles are real people and real teachers who communicate on a regular basis and you can reach out to them as well. So these pe we, people who are doing these things aren't untouchable or unreachable. They very much are just everyday people who chose to step up and step out in a little bit bigger way and are still reachable um, for you to interact with. And so by all means, please connect with other people um, in your field, either at your state association or through tabs specifically, but um, there's a lot of ways to get involved before and and including in AEA at the national level. Yes, absolutely. And if anyone is interested in Mighty Networks, you can actually join through the Teaching for Artistic Behavior website. So it's teachingforartisticbehavior.org. If you navigate up to the top right-hand corner, there's a little blue button that says join our community. And that, when you click it, will take you to Mighty Networks where you can join. It is free and it is a virtual community of art educators where you can talk about all things tab. So definitely make sure you check that out. And um, Mario, thank you so much for such the lively conversation. And it was so great to hear about your um, background and experience. It's so nice to know the, uh, the person that's like kind of like overseeing all of the NAEA. Cause I know I, I personally see you every once in a while when I go to those functions, but it's so nice to actually sit down and have a conversation with you and um, about all of the things that you do. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I was I was thrilled that I got the invite and really happy to join you. And uh, I'm thinking I've, I've had it on my list that, you know, it's like once things calm down a little bit, which I don't know that that's actually a period of time that will ever happen. But um, I want to get back out into some classrooms and do some visits across the country. And uh, oh. I need to get into some tab classrooms. So thank you for inspiring me to do that. Yes, yeah. I love that. Good talking to you both. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so much, and um, we hope you have a wonderful, productive summer, um, and uh, I, I don't think your work ever really stops. Um, it just is the next thing, and so um, <laughs> thank, thank bit, you all yeah. the in the field, knowing that you, um, you have our, our National Association organization really um, moving forward in a solid direction, so thank you. Thank you. Yes, yep. thank you.